Well, welcome to uh, everyone at all seven of our campuses, uh, including our newest campus in Gainesville, Virginia. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead. Let's give it up for Gainesville. Uh, five years ago, spotted a sign on a piece of land at the corner of uh, Wellington and Lytton Hall. It said that a retail development was coming uh, and that there would be a movie theater. Well, when I see movie theater, that reads church, okay? So when I saw that, I thought, man, I, I wonder if we could do something here. And we started praying five years ago that God might open a door, and that prayer is reality this weekend as we launch our newest campus. Uh, let me say a huge thanks to our campus pastor, Raj Midgall, and the entire core team that has worked so hard to get this thing off the ground. And uh, of course, a special welcome uh, to everybody in our new location. I don't know about you, but I love getting in on something on the ground level. You know what I'm saying? To kind of get in when, when the going is good, like right from the get-go, like pretty cool um, that, uh, that you're there on our first week at Gainesville. God's going to do some amazing things in the weeks and months and years to come. And so uh, we rejoice as we launch our seventh campus this weekend. Also, one little footnote. Uh, if you were not here uh, over Christmas and New Year's, you missed uh, the announcement um, that uh, our first international campus in Berlin, Germany, uh, will launch in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we're opening a cafe there. Our campus pastors, John and Steph Hassler, were here and shared a little bit of an update. So, man, amazing things happening right at the beginning of 2014. I think it sets the tone uh, for what God is going to do. Well, this weekend we begin a new series titled Work the Plan. Now, those three words have become a mantra that Laura and I have repeated frequently over the last couple of months. Uh, whether it's manager, managing your time, uh, managing your money, uh, managing your marriage, or managing your spiritual life, uh, you need to work the plan. Now, here's the thing. You got to get a plan first, don't you? You got to get a plan to work the plan. And so uh, what we want to do over the next uh, four weeks is help you develop a spiritual growth plan. Now, I said it before, but let me say it again. If you rely upon our teaching team for your spiritual diet, I fear for you because you will starve to death. Now listen, trust me, we work really hard um, to, to teach in a way that will bless you and help you uh, take the next step in your spiritual journey. But um, do you eat once a week? Yeah, no. Because um, if you eat once a week, you're going to be starving. Um, spiritually, we, we don't eat once a week. Listen, it's about practicing the spiritual disciplines day in and day out. And so over the next month, uh, we want to help you get a spiritual growth plan, but really uh, we want to do more than that. Now we'll certainly talk about some spiritual disciplines like prayer, uh, like studying scripture, like fasting or journaling. But you know what? We also want to talk about 
um, diet and exercise. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what? I've learned that uh, the more disciplined I am with my physical health, the more disciplined I am with my spiritual health health. Uh, we want to talk about things like managing your time uh, and your money because those are spiritual matters. And we want to talk about being more intentional in your relationships uh, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. And so at the end of the day, uh, we believe at the end of this month, uh, you're going to have a plan that you can begin uh, to work uh, over the coming year. A couple of disclaimers up front. First of all, this is not a self-help series. Uh, you're going to need God's help to say, make some of the changes that you need to make to do some of the things that God's going to put in your heart uh, to do. But can, can I just remind us of a couple of promises that he began a good work is going to carry to completion. And so what God puts in your heart uh, at the beginning of this series, I believe he's going to work out uh, over the coming year. Uh, I believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. So here's the deal. No matter how incredible of a plan you come up with, God's able to do more than what you plan. And I think that's some, some good news. Um, let me also say that I believe that uh, the altar is where God alters our life. Um, call me old-fashioned, but I think what you got to do is you got to hit your knees. You got to get on your, I think the way you stand on the promises of God is you get on your knees. You kneel on the promises of God. God wants to do some incredible things in your life in this coming year. It's the reason why you're still breathing. If you're still breathing, what it means is God's not finished with you yet. Uh, that the best is yet to come, that he wants to do something great in your life. Um, but, but I think you've got to kneel on his promise. And so let me just say up front, uh, I believe what the Bible says in James 4, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so if you'll humble yourself uh, during this series and say, God, here I am uh, with all of my failures, all the mistakes I've made, the challenges in my life, um, some of the addictions I'm battling, uh, God, all of those things, would you come and help me? If you humble yourself, God is going to help you do what he puts uh, in your heart. One other disclaimer, you'll never have a perfect plan. Uh, we don't pretend to, to suggest that by the end of this series, you're going to have a foolproof plan that cannot fail. I wish that was the case. But the reality is um, you're going to get out of this series what you put into it. And everybody's plan is going to look a little bit different. Why? Because each of us is absolutely unique. And so Here's what I want to caution against. I want to caution against feeling like you have to have a perfect plan before you begin to execute it. Okay, a number, number of years ago, uh, as we were preparing to become a multi-site church, we went to a gathering of other churches like ours that have multiple locations. And, and the, the event organizers brought in someone to speak to us who who was not in church world, so to speak. Um, in fact, was the former uh, CFO of Pizza Hut. And, and the, this, uh, this former CFO of Pizza Hut said something that, that um, I, I think of every time I eat their pizza. <laughs> he said, I'd rather have an 80% plan 
100% executed, then a 100% plan, 80% executed. And so maybe I can suggest the 80% rule. If you're a perfectionist like me, you're going to have a tendency to wait until you have a perfect plan, and that plan will never happen because it will never be perfect. And so I think what we want to try to do during this series is let's get the 80% plan so that we can work it in a way that gets us where God wants us to go. All right. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Psalm chapter 90. And uh, we're going to look at one verse. We're going to put it up on the screen. And I think it's going to frame uh, the series for us. And then the, in the weeks to come, we're going to drill down and uh, break down the plan and begin to uh, give you some practical things that you can implement. Here we go. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Can't think of a better verse for us to look at, to understand, to meditate on, um, to really study as we approach a, a new year because we got about 360 of these things left, right? Um, teach us to number our days. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, for the next few minutes. A number of years ago, I heard Tony Campolo tell a story about a philosophy class that he taught at the University of Pennsylvania. During one of his lectures, uh, he asked a student on the front row, uh, young man, how long have you lived? Now, this uh, student in his class was a little confused because it seemed like a strange question like, are you asking me how old I am? Because that's what it sounds like. And so he simply said, uh, 23 years. And Tony Campolo said, no, 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 no. That's how long your heart has been pumping blood. That's not how long you've lived. And then he told a story. He said uh, about his first visit to the Empire State Building in 1944. Now, in 1944, the Empire State Building was the tallest building in the world. Tony Campolo was nine years old. But 70 years later, he said it's one of the most unforgettable memories of his life. When they got up on the observation deck, he just started running around the observation deck, like taking in the view. He said, time stood still. He said, if I were to live a million years, that moment would still be part of my consciousness because of the way in which I lived it. He said, in that moment, I was fully alive. And Tony said to the student on the front row, now let me ask you the question again. How long have you lived? And the student looked back at him and said, Dr. Campolo, when you say it that way, maybe an hour. No, less than that. Maybe a minute. Maybe two. How long have you lived? Now I'm afraid many of us aren't really Living, at least not the way that Jesus dreamed of, at least not in the way that he died for. He said that came, you might have life and have it 
more abundantly. It's both a quantitative statement, meaning life without end, eternal life. That's the gift of salvation that God gives and offers to each one of us who is willing to receive it. But it also means qualitative, a life beyond what you could even imagine, filled with so much love and grace and power and joy that people would look at you and say, wow, I want what that person has. That's the kind of life that, that Jesus died so that we could live. Now, I have a friend and mentor, Bob Roden, who taught me one of the most profound questions I think you can ask and answer. I don't know where he got it, but the, the moment he shared it with me a couple of years ago, I, I've never forgotten it. And, and the question is this. He said, what did you do today that was worth Jesus dying for? I, I think that's a question that we've got to ask ourselves. Are we living life to the full, this abundant life that he died to give to us? I think when we talk about teach us to number our days, it's not about the number of years that we have here on this planet. I don't think it's measured in minutes. It's measured in moments. I think it's about uh, embracing every moment, every day for what it is, a gift from God to be stewarded for his purposes. I think we need to quit living like the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. I think we need to live like it's the first day and last day of our lives. I think we need to live like Christ was crucified yesterday, resurrected today, and is coming back tomorrow. I think when the psalmist said, teach us to number our days, I think it's such a profound reminder that life is so precious, it's something to be measured Stick with me for a moment. Anything that's valuable, you measure it. And the more valuable it is, the more carefully you measure it. I don't know why this is coming into mind, but maybe it's because Josiah and I popped into a candy store outside our Boston location before Christmas to get a gift. And, and I have one of these flashbacks as they put the candy on the uh, measuring you know, scale. And, and candy is precious when you're 11 years old like you get to measure every ounce of that thing right well and then you know uh gold silver anything else anything that's valuable you are going to measure it carefully i think what the psalmist is saying life is so precious so valuable every day that you better make sure that you are measuring it and then the question that we're left with is how how do we measure our days. Well, let me share a couple of ways that, that I believe we can measure our days. I think they're biblical and I think they're practical. And so let me give you three of them. Number one, establish boundaries. Measuring our days means that we've got to establish some boundaries in our lives so that Time is not spent in ways that is wasted, in, in ways that we cannot ever redeem again, that we can't get back, that we're using our time for its optimum purpose. Now, I think there are very practical applications here. Um, 
and, and a number of them. Um, you know, one of the things I did last year was make a decision that I, I wouldn't travel more than um, uh, 12 overnight trips to, to speak. And, and part of that was because of the age and stage of my kids. I think that that decision, which is actually a pre-decision that I made at the beginning of last year and which I'm making again this year, is probably one of the most important decisions I made because if I had not established that boundary, I have a tough time saying no. Uh, Have you done your calendar work for 2014? One of the things that Laura and I do every December, but just because it's January doesn't mean it's too late, okay, is we get away for a couple of days. Now, that's not easy to do. That takes time and uh, takes a little bit of money, takes some effort. How are the kids going to, are they going to be okay? but, But it's so important to us to find two days so that we can work the plan um, both in terms of budget and calendar. Much of what we do for those two days is we look at our calendar and we try to get a sense of, well, let's make sure we control this calendar so it doesn't control us. And we do things like um, work out when our family is going to go on vacation. Now, that may not seem like a hugely significant or spiritual or important thing, but I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to everybody that you work with to use all of your vacation days. Okay, Um, I think it's good stewardship. Uh, One of the things that we've tried to do over the years is really guard our Sabbath. Now, because uh, I'm teaching and preaching on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, my Sabbath is on Monday. Our our coffee date every Monday is sacred to Laura and I. I think there were only one or two Mondays that that we had to alter that Sabbath. but, but other than that, we, we wanted to make sure that we establish a boundary around that day where Laura and I can Sabbath uh, together. Now, let me tell you uh, that, one, uh, that uh, every year I try to come up with a word for the year, and you're going to laugh at my word for this year. It's going to sound so negative, um, and please forgive me for that in advance. You know, last year, my word was Selah, which, you know, sounds a little bit cooler um, you know, a little mystery to it, some intrigue. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know that I would even give myself passing grades, okay? Just keeping it real. Um, I, I think the Lord knew that more than any other year, I would need to try to find those Selah moments, those rest and pauses, because last year was one of the hardest um, years uh, that I've ever had be, because, because of self-inflicted wounds, because I didn't establish some boundaries in my life in terms of some opportunities that came my way. And I stretched myself too thin. Well, as a result of that, I've made some additional boundaries in my life this coming year, uh, namely not writing more than one book. Oh, my word. Um, Deadlines almost killed me last year, but the Lord was gracious. And I think he knew what word I would need to, to really make it through the year. And so my word this coming year is no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I just, I, I think what I have to do, you know, you know, I quote Andy Stanley all the time. He said, saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. 
I think that's the reality of the situation that you've got to determine what you're going to say no to so that you can say yes to the things that are most important, most significant, most eternal, most glorifying to God. And so as we go into 2014, do you need to do some boundary work? Do you need to go around the edges of your life where time is wasted where, where maybe um, you aren't prioritizing the way that you could or should. And do you need to reestablish some of those boundaries? Um, let, me, uh, let me just share one little thing here financially. Um, it's called the law of diminishing marginal utility. It's a law of economics stating that as a person increases consumption of a product while keeping consumption of other products constant, there's a decline in the marginal utility that person derives from consuming each additional unit of that product. Do I need to say that again? Um, I think really to, to, to translate it, more consumption equals less enjoyment. I, I am more and more convinced. In fact, I'm reading David and Goliath by Mark Malcolm Gladwell, and he, he throws out this number, and it might be higher because of the cost of living in D.C., but he said, really, anything above $75,000 in income will not make you happier. In fact, more will be less. And, and one of the things that Laura and I determined years ago was that we would establish an income ceiling that... Anything God would bless us with over a certain number, uh, we would just give back to God. We would not take it as personal income. And, and establishing that boundary um, has helped us over the years just say, sometimes enough is enough. Sometimes more is less. I think we just have to make sure that if we're numbering our days, I think sometimes we're so busy going after this and that that we don't even enjoy the journey. And the days disappear on us. And at the end of our lives, we have everything and it's nothing. I think it's about enjoying each and every day. Now, here's what I want to um, prescribe. A lot of what uh, I share over the next few weeks is going to be descriptive of what I'm trying to do. The retreat that Laura and I take every year, you can do that. You don't have to do that. You could do it for one day and you could do it someplace other than where we do it. Like, but, but what I'm about to share, I think is prescriptive. And I'd like every person uh, who calls NCC their church home uh, to consider um, doing this. And it's this, to do a 10-day Daniel fast uh, in the month of January. Now, I'm going to explain what that is, um, but before I do so I don't forget, let me recommend a couple of books that have really helped me uh, with fasting. One is a book called The Fasting Edge by Jensen Franklin, and then a book I was just reading on an airplane. We had a little family vacation this last week, um, and uh, on the plane ride back, I was reading The Daniel Plan. Uh, Rick Warren is one of the authors of that book, along with uh, Dr. Daniel, amen, and a few others. Um, 
Those two books, I think, would be great reads because here's, here's what I don't want you to feel like. Feel like, well, we already passed January 1st. It's too late to make any changes or any big decisions or, or, or work the plan. No, what I want to suggest is why don't we approach this series so that by the end of January, and especially during a 10-day season of fasting, we're able to really discern what it is that God might want to do in our hearts and lives this coming year. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I used to set resolutions. I, I like I, right up until the last minute because it wasn't by midnight, you know, on December 31st. Like it was null and void. It was disqualified. Uh, I have stopped doing that years ago because what I need is those 10 days of prayer and fasting to really hear the voice of God to make sure that I'm not making some resolution that is just some idea on a whim. Uh, and so I want to propose a 10-day Daniel fast. Now, by Daniel fast, it's a fruit and vegetable fast, but the truth is um, it could really be whatever you want it to be. It could be water and bread. It could be a liquid fast. It could be fasting from sunup to sundown, but, but I'm going to do a fruit and vegetable fast. Now, now why? Because uh, I know of nothing that will help me and prepare me for what God wants to do in my life. Because my guess is this, you have some things this year that you need to say no to. Uh, now, I talked about this last summer that uh, we have 643 muscles in our body, and, and, uh, but, but there's one more that I think is the most important muscle. It's the no muscle. It's a muscle you exercise when you say no to something. And, and the question is, how do you exercise that muscle? Because um, how, how many of you uh, are back in the gym routine um, beginning of January? You're, you're going for it. You're back at the gym. That's awesome. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. Um, well, you know how to work out your body, right? You hop on the elliptical um, or at home, you pull out the shake weight. Um, <laughs> You know, if you, if you want to work out the quads, like you need to ride the bike or, or do some squats. If, you know, do some curls if you're going to work out your bicep or a bench press. If, you know, you're working out those muscles, what, whatever. But how do you work out the no muscle? And I'll tell you, it's simple. Fasting. Fasting is the spiritual discipline whereby you exercise your ability to say no to things. Why? Because if you can say no to food, you can say no to about anything. And so you cultivate that discipline in your life, and it will help you cultivate discipline in other areas of your life. And so we'll talk more about it. Uh, I'm going to do that Daniel fast the, the last 10 days of the month, actually, uh, because I, I want to ramp up during this series and make sure that I'm ready to kind of hit my stride those last 10 days. You can choose any 10 days you want, but uh, that's the challenge that's on the table. All right, let me talk about um, second uh, idea, uh, count your blessings. How do you, how do you, Number your days. So I think that what I'm about to share is, is so obvious, but so under-practiced, um, but so important uh, that it could change the game for you. This is a biblical command. Psalm 103, count your blessings. And then someone wrote a song about it, count your blessings, uh, name them one by one, right? Um, by, by the way, I think that this is the hardest command in the Bible. Why? Because you can't count that high. 
you can't count your blessings. If you really stop and you were to nuance every blessing of God every day, you would have no time left over for anything else and you would scratch the surface. Um, our family has four values. And, and these four values uh, we came up with while I went through a year of discipleship with my oldest son, Parker. And those four values are this, gratitude, humility, generosity, and courage. And, and we try to practice those. We try to grow uh, in those values. Um, but, but I think one of my weaknesses this past year was in the area of gratitude. I, I think at more than any time in my life, I think I have more to be grateful for than, than at any time in my existence. And yet, I think this last year, I was too busy to be grateful. And, and I don't think I really counted my blessings the way I could have or should have. And so I'm going to go old school. And one of the things I'm going to do this year uh, is bring back the old gratitude journal. Um, where every day I try to find something to write down that I am grateful for. And so the magic number is 365. At the end of the year, I should have cultivated the art of finding things to be grateful for. Even on the worst days this coming year, I will find something to be grateful for. And, and I think that this is a very practical way to number your days. Literally number them with things that you are grateful for. Now, some of you, I bring up this idea of journaling and you go blank. Last time you journaled um, was for an English class and you got a D and it's a bad memory for you. Um, okay. I'm going to push the envelope here. I believe, and I may stand alone in this, but I believe that journaling is a spiritual discipline. Um, I'm not saying it's on par with prayer or studying scripture, but it's up there. I mean, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now you tell me, how are you going to do that? Well, I'll tell you how I do it. Um, I write things down. Why? Because the shortest memory is longer than the longest pencil. If I don't write something down, it is lost forever. When I go back and I look at some of the gratitude journals that I kept years ago, it's amazing how often a smile ends up on my face or a chuckle or some moment that like I would have never ever remembered that. But because I wrote it down, because I took it captive, it's something that then is in my spirit. See, we, we hear that verse and we think, you know, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We interpret it in negative terms that take sinful thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ by getting them out of your mind. Okay, but that's only half the battle. The other half is to take positive thoughts. Philippians 4 says, if anything is good or right or pure or just, think about such things. Keep them in your mind. How? Write them down. So you've got to journal these things so that, that you can number your days and capture those moments, like the moment that Tony Campolo had on the top of the Empire State Building, so that they are never forgotten. It's funny. I just happened to be reading, I think it was Wired Magazine or Fast, one of those magazines about a uh, 
eight new occupations that futurists predict will become uh, new means of employment. I don't know that there are majors in these things yet, okay? But, but one of them they called life logging. Life logging, uh, they said, will be a way of life uh, affecting how we record and remember what we do. And, and what they said is it used to be kind of the rich and famous or people who, you know, that were worth writing a biography about that we would life log them, Right? But, but now what they're suggesting is like everybody wants a life log. Um, and a part of it is just, you know, Twitter and Instagram. That you're capturing moments in your life. And, and by the way, one of my disciplines this year was to go back through all of my Instagram photos over the last year. Wow, I took a lot of pictures of sunsets. <laughs> <laughs> but some of those pictures brought back some of those moments to me. Do you know that, that you know this because you live here, but there's a stenographer who, who literally captures every word that's spoken by the President of the United States. So, so his life is logged, if you will. I think journaling, like I laugh like, oh, future occupation. No, this is an ancient spiritual discipline. Life logging. What you're doing is you're logging your day so that you can remember those moments See, because the problem is we tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. And so, count your blessings. All right, number three, put together a life plan. And, and, and wow, that sounds like, oh my goodness, all right, I wasn't overwhelmed until here, this moment. Um, and, and we'll talk more about this. Don't go out and feel like um, this needs to be done by uh, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, okay? Um, but, but I want to I push us a little bit. A few weeks ago, I did a chapel for uh, an NFL team uh, that was here playing someone, uh, uh, playing the Ravens. Um, and I've done chapel for them a number of times. And, and it's funny because they, like, you have until 8.30. And if you go after 8.30, you know, coach might have the defensive ends come after you. Like, you've got to end on time. Why? Because... They go into their um, meetings with the offense, defense, and special team units. Now, now, what are they doing? They're going over their game plan. Now, it's a game plan that began the moment over the, after their last game ended when the coach started watching film of the team that they were going to play. Uh, now, good coach. Uh, they're going to burn the candle at both ends. They, they're watching film uh, morning, noon, and night. And then when the players come back to practice, they're, they're implementing their schemes. And then some teams are even scripting uh, the first several plays in the game, and they're looking to leverage their strengths and expose the weaknesses of, of their opponent. And I thought to myself, this is so weird, but as I walked out that night, um, in part because I love football, I thought to myself, okay, they spend more time and energy in one week game planning one game than most of us game plan our entire lives. I thought to myself, this is crazy. Because most of us just live our lives by accident. Like we let things happen. Listen, the best way to predict the future is to plan it. And I'm going to throw out there, you better pray it too. Because planning without praying is a waste of energy. But I also say that praying without planning waste of time. You have to do both. And so um, 
One of my favorite moments of the year uh, was this fall. I was down in Colorado, spent a little bit of time with, with Dick Foth, my friend and mentor, um, who many of you know is really our, our grandfather here at NCC. Uh, Dick just turned 72, and, and as we met, he told me about something he had just done. He said, Mark, I just spent two days with a life coach coming up with a life plan. And, and we, we, we laughed because he's 72. Like, how long a plan was that? Uh, uh, but the, fun, the funnest part of it was like Dick was just like a little kid giggling because he said, Ruth has been making fun of me. She said, Dick, you're 72 and you're just now putting together a life plan. Like, you know, there's, it was just funny because why have you waited this long and how much time do you have left? But, but, but there was something about that that, uh, long story short, um, I will spend two days in Colorado this year. I don't have them on my calendar yet, but I'll spend two days with the same life coach that worked with Dick because Dick said it was so profoundly impacting to, to him that I said, all right, well, I need to do the same thing. You've got to invest the time uh, to be able to come up uh, with this kind of plan. Now, now, Time is going to elude us this weekend. Um, it's about more than life goals. Now, I just posted a blog, 10 Steps to Setting Life Goals. Uh, you can go check that out. If you want, you, you know that I put 113 life goals out there. But this is more than that. Now, I certainly, at the beginning of the year, review those life goals. I, I kind of figure out, well, which one do I want to go after this year? But, but this is about more than that. I think this is about taking a comprehensive look at our lives and, and saying, am I making every day count, every week count, every month count, every year count? Teaching us to number our days means that we have a keen awareness of where we're headed, where God is taking us. Now, once you have that plan in place. And I think the engine are the spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Once you have that engine in place, then, then one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, you are moving in the direction of where God is taking you. And that's my prayer for each one of us, to live with greater intentionality. Uh, let me just close with this little thought. The late, great Stephen Covey said, anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. Teach us to number our days. Could that be our prayer over the next month to, to say, God, we want to live our lives, not for selfish purposes, but to bring glory to your name, but we want to live our lives in a way that was worth you dying for, to live lives of abundance, to, to, to steward every single day, and as the book of Ephesians says, to redeem the time. May God help us. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we not just hear your word, but put it into practice. God, I pray that you would help us to establish boundaries in our lives that have maybe been moved, maybe priorities, may, maybe even uh, boundaries of righteousness in our life that have been moved, that are compromising what we know to be right and true. Or, or Lord, boundaries financially or relationally 
God, I pray that you would help us to establish boundaries in a way that, that would maximize this gift of time that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to count your blessings, uh, to name them one by one, to, to number our days by numbering those things that we are so grateful for. God, you are so good. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us, Lord, to put these things into practice so that we can live our lives in a way that would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.